welcome to the Black Talk Podcast. This is Khadija. I'm Paula. And we have two very special guests today from Georgia Coalition Against Domestic Violence, Jan Christensen and Sheena Morris. So, hey. <laughs> um, so we are excited about the conversation we will have later in the episode with them. Um, but we can just start with some updates. It's been a minute. <laughs> yeah, we do not do our podcast regularly. Yeah, we're, so. so, we're sorry. <laughs> I hope it keeps like, our listeners on the edge like, waiting. But yeah, lots of updates. I'm moving. Um, uh, you are. <laughs> do you want to tell, tell our listeners more about that? Yeah, well, like we don't do is tell what we what our jobs are really, but I mean, <laughs> most people who know us know anyway. But I am moving to South Africa to continue working in public health, global health, um, and I'll be working on an HIV program. So Yay. I'm looking forward to that. I'm getting back into HIV work. I used to do that when I actually before I went to grad school, I used to test and counsel people for HIV which was like a really interesting experience. Um, it was definitely, you know, what got my feet wet in public health. And the idea of like risk reduction yeah. was a very like kind of new idea for me at that time. Cause like I said, it was before I went to school. Um, and so like we were trained to like negotiate with people in the counseling process. So if someone is like, yeah, I don't, I don't use condoms and I'm not going to use condoms. Then you just accept that. And you're like, okay. So you stop saying to them, you should use condoms because they've already told you that they don't do that. So you say, okay, if you're not going to use condoms, then what about having less partners? Mm -hmm. You know, because it's just like one less partner is like slightly reducing Mm -hmm. your risk Mm -hmm. of getting the virus or spreading it. Um, so things like that. So that was a very like kind of public healthy idea of like just risk reduction and stuff. And so I was like, oh, that's a really interesting. And it seems very helpful because yeah, you're responding to the actual needs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that was fun. And then I also worked on HIV when I first graduated, like during school, um, my practicum was about HIV. And then I did, I worked for that same organization for a year when I graduated. And then my most recent job after that was, um, it was not disease topic based. Mm-hmm. It was um, public health management mm-hmm. in a global context. So now I'm going back. Yay. But I'm, I'm actually doing like management of an HIV program. So it's like kind of bringing a lot of things together. Um, but yeah, and it'll be a new location. Yeah. You have to come visit me, Khadija. I know you like South Africa. I so. do. <laughs> South Africa is just, it's so interesting. It's like, a little dystopic and a little like <laughs> it's like it's such like a interesting reflection back on like the mm-hmm. culture in the US and like the yeah. race relations yeah. I um uh but yeah i mean there are people a little bit like our age a little bit older that went through apartheid right and so it's you feel that like <laughs> you really mm-hmm. feel that when you're there and so it's so interesting cuz it would be like if we, like, people our age lived through the civil rights movement, like, the 50s and 60s. So, um, it's interesting. Yeah. But I love it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so, um, it's very, like, the different cities are very different, too. Really? So, like, okay. um, like, Joburg, it's very, like, Johannesburg is very, like, an urban mm-hmm. center. Mm-hmm. It feels a lot like, uh, like, D.C., Miami, and L.A. Cool. Um, yeah. And parts of it. It's really cool. Um, and then, like, Cape Town is, like, right on, like, the, what's it called? The heel? The, oh, the, the, not the horn. The, the horn, or the, yeah. The horn is the, east side, Right. Though, <laughs> Which is, like, the very bottom. Oh, okay. The yeah, continent. Yeah. And it's, like, wow. gorgeous. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And then they have, I do, you should definitely take part in a safari there. They have, like, oh, some. Yeah. World renowned like safari mm-hmm. parks there. <laughs> yeah, you can definitely see the big five. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank That's you. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> excited. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm trying to think of anything exciting. <laughs> I'm not sure if I could top that. Um, but <laughs> um, I am like exploring. Um, what it may look like to go back to school. Um, oh. So, <laughs> oh, I guess I knew that. Yeah. Did take the 
<laughs> I took the GRE a couple months ago. Um, and so I feel like because I gave $200 to ETS and $500 to a continued education course on GRE wow. prep, I kind of, I paid my way into the process. I kind of have to. You're in it now. Kind of in it now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I really have just been like thinking a lot more, um, especially like as we do this work with black health, um, what like the needs are in our field and Mm -hmm. like how just to better inform and integrate and practice like what it means to like be, or not even what it means to be, but like how to make, um, public health and, like, health sciences more, like, critically aware and then engaged in, like, uh, actually addressing inequities. (laughs) And, um, yeah, so I've just been, like, like, through Black Health and then through our little day job, (laughs) um, uh, just, like, learning more about, like, what, like, the needs are and just thinking through, like, what, just, like, how we can better be better as a field. Mm. Um, yeah. And then the more, it's like, I'm just learning more and more about like the history, um, like the past and like current, um, like ways in which racism has like operational, been operationalized yeah. through the health field, mm-hmm. through the sciences, yeah. Yeah. through like, it's so rooted. Like our field is so such a big player and why like just creating right perpetuating inequities and so i think we really need to critically confront like the fact that like our field has literally like used like falsely used like genes and like how like black people's like physiology and anatomy is literally like worse um, and less human than white people. Mm. And, like, from that, it's just, like, these different pathways mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. our field has really, like, progressed inequities. It's, like, participate in the dehumanization. Exactly, of yeah. People, which mm-hmm. make people feel better or okay about oppressing us, basically. Right. Like, yeah. And so I just think, like, um, the more I do work in this health equity space... It's like we're never going to be able to truly address inequities if we're not serious, serious, and like understanding how our role in forcing them, that. Yeah. and then how we can Actively, undo that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So we'll see. I'll keep y'all updated okay. <laughs> about this journey. <laughs> um, so yeah, do you want to start with any updates? Yeah. So. Um, a few, a couple weeks ago, uh, we had an event in Atlanta around Black reproductive justice. Um, that was part of our Black Health Ask a Doctor series. We have like so many series series happening right now, but um, it went really well. Yeah, we, I hate that I missed it. Oh yeah, you weren't there. Yeah, <laughs> in Nigeria. <laughs> Um, Paula is our world traveler and it's was rough. across the globe it's, at the time. That's rough. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it went really well. We had some awesome experts in the room that um, were doing work in Black reproductive health and Black reproductive justice. Um, so we just talked about um, the ways that... Um, like at so we use one of the liberating structures techniques. Mm-hmm. So we if y'all pan- panarchy, yeah, panarchy. Yeah. Um, so we've been like testing out these liberating structure techniques, which are basically um, like when you have an event when you're in a microstructure, like a meeting, a workshop, a um, just any type of like small group setting or smaller group setting. Um, ways to bring out like everyone's ideas and get like just be as like participatory as possible um, while still like being productive 
Um, and so that's like what liberating structures is rooted in. And there's like 30 something different like facilitation techniques. Mm-hmm. Gina, I think we like we use yeah. one of them at the domestic violence yeah. event too. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, we use the panarchy one at the um, the reproductive justice event. Also, so there's a liberating structures website. It's just liberatingstructures.com. There's oh, yeah. an app, <laughs> which is the app is like really cool because you just go in and can read all the. Str- the different um, techniques that they have. And then it'll tell you like how to do it, how the room is arranged, you know, like what you should do, but they're also very easy to modify. Like we always kind of add in our own thing or take out a piece or something like that. Um, But yeah, so the website, the app, else? No, that's it. But yeah, they're very, they're free. So it's easy to access all of this information as well. Yeah. And they do trainings. So there's going to be a training coming up in Atlanta, September 18th. Huh. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, I'm going um, to that. Yeah, yeah. Just going, <laughs> Y'all should so. go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, sends that info. Yeah, 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 we will. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so we use um, the panarchy technique. And um, how we did that one was um, we had a whiteboard. And then we had, like, one quadrant that said, um, like, individual. One that said interpersonal one that said um, institutional, like organizational, and then one that said um, societal. So these are basically, for public health folks, um, the socio-ecological model. Um, And so we gave, we handed out stickies to um, attendees and asked them to write down, like, one per sticky, um, what are some of the, um, uh, the barriers and facilitators that cause um, like black reproductive health inequities at each of these levels. And so just like write one down. So Mm -hmm. like if on the, um, let's say on the societal level, it's like, um, not having access to, um, like healthy, like you living in a food desert. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they like wrote, them on stickies and then got up and put them on the board and then we talked through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really impressed because again, like the socio-ecological model is a very like public health, like academic, mm-hmm. <laughs> academic concept. Yeah. I mean, it's not hard to grasp, but it is like academic and like the room, like they, they got it. They got it. Oh, that's <laughs> cool. And that's they came great. up with like really like, um, yeah. like yeah. powerful, like examples. So, mm-hmm. um, it was cool. Yeah, we'll have to do that again. That yeah. sounds really interesting. Yeah, um, but no, the event went really well, and um, this may be our last ask, ask the Doctor event of the year, at least mm-hmm. for the next um, couple of months, because um, with running, doing a bunch of events, and we're doing more workshops, and we're doing consulting, and we're doing our merchandise. Um, it's it's hard to balance all of that um, and still um, build, like, our internal capacity and be able to record more podcasts and stuff. So mm-hmm. um, we're focusing the next, like, few months just, like, a little more internally mm-hmm. uh, to continue to grow. Um, I think we're just all, like, learning, like, what it means, all the, like... Um, just what it means to have like a social um, entrepreneurship organization and all the needs and work that goes into that. So um, we're going to focus a little bit more time just over the next couple of months um, on our own, the black health as a business yeah, and just internal, internal operations. Right. Yeah. Um, but want to update uh, our website. Right. Just stay, stay tuned on our website, <laughs> listserv, social media. Um, cause we'll definitely post, um, when we have our next event. Um, mm-hmm. they've been great. We've had, we've actually been, we've had an event like almost every single month, mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. alternating between, our two series. Um, yeah, yeah, the two series we have. So um, we definitely learned a lot. We've covered a lot of different topics. So we, um, so far, we've had the reproductive justice event. We had um, a mental health um, and entrepreneurship event. Um, we had um, the one on um, intimate partner violence. Yeah. We had one on Alzheimer's, HIV, one, HIV mm-hmm. sickle cell, diabetes, heart disease yeah. um 
That may be that might awesome. be it. But, but yeah. yeah, so we we covered been busy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we busy. mental health and entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so we 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 covered a lot of health conditions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, again, stay tuned. And if you all have any ideas for a topic that you think would be impactful for us to cover, um, you know how to hit us up engage at blackhealth.com yeah. <laughs> or just DM us. <laughs> That's what a lot of people do. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get into today's topic. So we um, covered domestic violence in the black community a little bit in a past episode, um, but it's such a deep and complex topic that we wanted to dedicate an entire episode um, to this issue. Um, And this also is um, a follow-up to the intimate partner violence in the Black community event we had earlier this year. So um, I do want to start this conversation with a trigger warning. Um, This is a very heavy topic. And so for any listeners, if you... Um, need to pause or um, uh, not listen to this episode. We won't be offended. We won't. Yeah. We won't really know. But we, we take we, care of right, know. right, yeah. yeah. And it's it's a heavy topic, and it's also very personal. A right. lot of people mm-hmm. experience this, or right. you know, are close to it. So, mm-hmm. you know. yeah. So um, before we get into the conversation with our special guest, I did want to highlight. Um, some of the statistics and what the inequity is and looks like around domestic violence in the Black community. So similar to other health-related issues, Black people face disparities when it comes to domestic violence. And this is particularly true when we look at the most marginalized segments of our community. So when you're looking at um, Black women, Black queer and trans folk, um, Black Uh, women who are foreign-born, the inequity is even greater. So some of the statistics I was able to pull up um, that highlight the inequities include that Black non-Hispanic women and multiracial non-Hispanic women are significantly more likely to have experienced rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner in their lifetime compared to white, non-Hispanic women. Women who are foreign-born are more likely to experience intimate partner violence than those born in the U.S. Individuals who self-identify as lesbian, gay, and bisexual have an equal or higher prevalence of experiencing interpartner violence, um, sexual violence, and stalking as compared to self-identified heterosexual individuals. Um, and bisexual bisexual women are um, particularly disproportionately impacted. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. 47% of transgender people are sexually assaulted at some point in their lifetime. And within the trans community, people of color have higher rates of being sexually assaulted. Um, so, for example, for um, indigenous folks... Um, 65% um, uh, of people who are indigenous in the states um, have been sexually assaulted or will be in their lifetime. So these are very scary numbers, and this is this is an issue. This is something that um, uh, as um, people do work in the space of um, ending domestic violence, it's so critical that we look at um, and address these particular inequities that um, marginalized folks, Black people are experiencing, Black women are experiencing um, in this space. So um, given that, we have two wonderful women here today that are really spearheading um, this movement to end domestic violence um, and really going at it from an anti-racism lens and focusing on the margins. So Jan uh, Jan Christensen is the executive director, and Sheeta Morris is the director of policy and community engagement at Georgia Coalition Against Domestic Violence. 
Georgia's leading representative of domestic violence agencies, advocates, allied individuals, and survivors throughout the state. Georgia Coalition Against Domestic Violence is dedicated to creating social change and eliminating domestic violence in the lives of all Georgia citizens through providing quality support, comprehensive training, and legislative advocacy for domestic violence agencies, advocates, and communities statewide. So thank you guys for being here today. Thank you. Yeah. See you all again. Yes. Um, so yeah, Sheena was at um, the um, domestic violence event we had earlier. It was this a conversations, year. black health conversations. Yes, black health convos. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is so wonderful. We wanted her back. <laughs> um, so yeah, before we talk more about domestic violence, particularly in the black community. Um, Sheena and Jan, is there anything that we miss um, around like your backgrounds or um, just how you got connected to Georgia Coalition? Um, well, you know, I just wanted to point out one of the statistics that has really galvanized us to really looking at how racism um, plays into domestic violence and other social justice issues is the fact that um, Black and African American women die at twice their population rate due to domestic violence in Georgia. And really, it's not just a Georgia phenomenon. It's it's across the United States. Mm -hmm. And so um, about 60% of the domestic violence homicides um, in Georgia are are for black and African American women victims. So, um, yeah, so that that really galvanized us and and, um, in... And kind of really taking a closer look mm-hmm. at kind of what's what's happening, not only on our organization, but, you know, across Georgia as far as um, services and access to services mm-hmm. um, for black and African-American women and black and African-American women and also, you know, other women from um, other marginalized mm-hmm. communities. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I got into this work just, I've been doing this work for over 20 years, started doing um, rural outreach work in, mm-hmm. in Florida um, and, and did that work for a long time. Um, and I directed a shelter and, um, and then, um, you know, I got to Georgia kind of through a circuitous route from, uh, spent a, a long, long time, like I said, in Florida mm-hmm. doing this work, spent a, a minute in Vermont and then came oh, here. Wow. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, this, um, you know, this to me is kind of, you know, life's work. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. you know. Um, for women, um, you know, to know that I'm, I'm impacting in some way, um, the lives of women is, is huge. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, for me, um, you know, this work has, has always been something that I've aspired to do. I do identify as a child witness survivor of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm almost as old as the movement is. Mm So, um, I always set out in all of my kind of educational aspirations and, um, Mm -hmm. kind of organizing efforts, um, in my home community when I was younger, set out to do this actual work. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, coming up through grad school, um, my practicum was actually at GCADV. Um, so when you you count my practicum, (laughs) Um, you count that time plus you know my the years that I've been in the the organization I've been there for about 12 years Um, and so I just had always had intentions on um, doing this type of work in some type of capacity yeah wow that's great that's awesome yeah um, so, Jan, could you tell us more about Georgia Coalition Against Domestic Violence? Sure. Um, and just the organization's mission and the major initiatives you all are doing. Sure. You know, I was I was kind of making a list, and then mm-hmm. as you were talking, I was like, oh, I've read about that. I've read about that. <laughs> um, so our, our mission is advocate... Oh, geez, isn't that terrible? Collaborate, <laughs> ad- collaborate advocate, educate, empower. And so we do that through through a number of initiatives. And, um, you know, we are, are kind of a, what, what I like to say, kind of an umbrella organization for domestic violence programs in the state. And we are the federally designated Domestic mm. Violence Coalition for Georgia. Okay. And with that designation, we get a little bit of money through the Department of Health and Human Services mm-hmm. and also through the Office of Violence Against Women. Mm-hmm. And so um, they give us some money really to do some very specific things, and that is to provide training mm-hmm. um, to all the domestic violence programs in the state yeah, okay. and to um, also provide intensive technical assistance and to raise awareness about the issue and also to advocate for policy that um, 
that benefit survivors. Mm -hmm. And that's not just in the legislative arena, although we do do some lobbying, mm -hmm. um, not with federal money, um, <laughs> but also through public health mm -hmm. and, and other, you know, yeah. housing and other things that mm -hmm. survivors touch. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's a lot. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so those are kind of what the feds charge us to do, mm -hmm. um, not the lobbying. <laughs> and um, so, so we do uh, all of those things. Our training is really, um, you know, we do a lot of trauma-informed work. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of work with um, other folks that aren't strictly domestic violence advocates. Mm -hmm. Our um, child and youth program goes out and does training with therapists mm -hmm. and child advocates, but really to for, for therapists who come in contact with children who have witnessed domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And so um, she really trains them on how to how to work with those children. Yeah. Um, we have a, a, a deaf advocacy project mm -hmm. that um, works specifically with deaf survivors oh, wow. um, and accessing services and resources. And um, and that's kind of an, an offshoot of our disabilities project mm -hmm. that we've had on and off for a number of years that really builds the capacity of domestic violence programs to work with deaf survivors. Mm -hmm. um, we have a um, community engagement project, which I'm actually going to let Sheena talk about. And we have a Justice for Incarcerated Survivors project mm -hmm. um, that works with women in prison mm -hmm. um, who have uh, really... Um, their prison sentence has been directly related to domestic yeah. violence, whether mm -hmm. they've acted in self-defense yeah. or have committed a crime mm -hmm. under the duress from their batterer. Mm -hmm. And so we work with them to build their parole packets mm -hmm. um, for, um, you know, if they're coming yeah. up for yeah. parole. So because yeah. a lot of times domestic violence hasn't been introduced into their um into their background at all. Mm -hmm. And um, and then again, the, the legislative advocacy. But I think, you know, a big project that we're really proud of and really um, just so grateful, really, for Sheena kind of taking the lead on is the Community Engagement Project. And I'd, I'd love for Sheena to really talk about what her and her team do around that initiative. Before I go to that, I'm going to mention our housing project, too. Oh, my God. We, <laughs> we have so started. many things that we work yeah. on. Um, it's but we very cross-cutting. Yeah. yeah, it yeah. is very cross-cutting. We have um, a housing project that we've administered for about mm -hmm. 15 years in collaboration with um, domestic violence organizations uh, throughout the state um, to provide permanent housing um, assistance and supportive services mm -hmm. to survivors of domestic violence. So that's one of our other projects. And, and economic justice. And, yeah, yeah, an economic um, justice portion um, that just kind of cuts across mm -hmm. all um, mm -hmm. sectors of the work that we do as well. And that's growing and thriving um, as well. Um, and then, as Jan mentioned, our community engagement work, um, which I think we'll talk about yes. a little bit yeah. more as we move on in the podcast. But that really just kind of, um, you know, centers... Um, you know, those who are working in the margins, mm -hmm. working with survivors who are identifying, um, you know, on, on the margins um, and working to really support those, those organizations uh, capacity and sustainability in order to remain in their communities as they serve survivors. Mm -hmm. So um, that's just a little, 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 little snapshot yeah. of that work. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's um, I didn't know you all did that much. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it is. I, I love um, that you all are focused on these different sectors and components because, right. um, like, with other, like, health issues, domestic violence is, um, like, there are different topics that intersect with it. Right, right. <laughs> it's impacting right. different aspects of a person's right, life. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we really try to... Um, look at the whole survivor. Right. right? Mm -hmm. the, the survivor is not only their experience of domestic violence, but they are impacted by many things, mm -hmm. um, you know, socially, systemically. And so mm -hmm. our work kind of tries to cut across many of those areas. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of when we, we had Black Mamas Matter Alliance, mm -hmm. um, a representative um, on our podcast, just I think the last, the last episode. episode. Yeah. yeah um, and they were talking about how with their reproduct reproductive justice framework, they really look at women, you know, throughout their life. So starting mm -hmm. from when they're children mm -hmm. to young women, young adults mm -hmm. to, you know, at the point where they are giving birth. And so it's just like the whole life cycle is very right. important. And so right. looking at the person as a whole person. Right. Yeah. And so we, we talk about often, you know, domestic violence across the lifespan. And, right. Um, you know, the and the way trauma, uh, you know, around 
everything yeah. that, that you experience as a person plays into your experience as a survivor, right? Mm-hmm. And how you're going to how you're going to react to that or not react right. in, um, in many cir- circumstances. So it's um, really important to look at the whole person and their whole experience and their whole life. Right. Yeah. And we've talked before on the podcast about <clears throat> average childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, seeing uh, your caregiver, and particularly your mother, experience domestic violence is on the initial list of average childhood yeah. experiences. Yes. Um, and it very much um, can affect, like you're saying, mm-hmm. um, how you would act or react later mm-hmm. in life. And mm-hmm. then it has a direct impact on like your health or mental health or physical yes. health. Yeah. I've always thought that was very interesting. Um, the way domestic violence is like a risk factor for mm-hmm. um, a lot of health um, outcomes. So I first heard of this presented in the context of HIV. Mm-hmm. Um I can't remember her name, but it was a panel at Rollins Mm -hmm. and the woman on the panel was talking about her research was in how women who are um, survivors or experiencing domestic violence um, are at higher rate for getting HIV. And it's just like, oh, I wouldn't even necessarily before hearing that. I mean, it makes sense, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't have necessarily thought about that connection. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it's like you're a vulnerable person. And so it makes you vulnerable in a lot of other places. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So Sheena, Georgia Coalition Against Domestic Violence has an extensive racial justice portfolio. Um, So could you speak more about how that came to be and what type of work um, Georgia Coalition is engaged in in this space? So GCADV has like a very rich history around addressing racism and oppression, Mm -hmm. um, both um, internally and externally Mm -hmm. in this movement. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, many, many years ago, before I was even thought about um, the organization in its kind of multiple capacities that it's existed in, um, has worked to, you know, bring, you know, issues around racism and oppression and the intersections of domestic violence forth Mm -hmm. um, through its Women of Color Task Force when it had one, through its early organizing days, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and there there have been splits of the organization, just, you know, various different things that have kind of impacted the ability of the organization in doing that work. Mm -hmm. So by the time I came to the organization in 2008, I think it was, um, the organization um, was still, you know, trying to grapple with some of the issues around racism and oppression mm-hmm. and its impact on survivors. But it was always very much doing um, external facing mm-hmm. work and not necessarily looking in in house, mm-hmm. right? At how yeah. how that was showing up, mm-hmm. how it was impacting the way the work was being done, mm-hmm. um, so on and so forth. So during um, my time there, um, you know, after trying to reestablish a women of color caucus, um, trying to, um, do many things and ultimately becoming the only person of color on our staff at one point. Mm. Um, it actually provided along with the information around the rate at which black women were dying mm-hmm. in the state. It actually prevented the, uh, presented the opportunity to finally do some internal mm-hmm. facing work and really look at our own house and try to get it in order mm-hmm. because our organization had a very long standing history of women of color, not, um, remaining at the organization mm-hmm. for, um, citing um, racism uh, as a reason why they were leaving the organization. And of course, you're, you you would see um, the results of how this would translate to then exactly. the external work of, yeah, of um, you know, working with survivors, training um, that would occur, so on and so forth. So we actually began doing what is called undoing racism work internally mm. in our organization and really um, the white women on staff really doing their own work around mm-hmm. racism, around privilege mm-hmm. um, and kind of, um, you know, just just doing all that internal work that needed to happen. Um, it's like it's a very long history, very long history. Mm-hmm. We've worked on a number of things such as changing our policies and um, our practices mm-hmm. around certain things. Um so that's just kind of like yeah. a little bit, a very quick little bit of <laughs> some of our organization's history around um, our racial justice work that we've been doing. And you can find out more information about the total history mm-hmm. um, of that work on our website, gcadb.org. Okay. Um, but 
all of that has led to us doing um, the community engagement work because mm-hmm. over the course of years that um, I was in community and meeting um, community members who had established community-based organizations, mm-hmm. um, I was always finding that I would encounter survivors of color, black women mm-hmm. in particular, who were launching these organizations, mm-hmm. um, but they weren't necessarily a part of our conversation. And they were often very much one person led, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. doing all mm-hmm. things, wearing all of the hats of the organizations. <laughs> and over the time of being in contact with people, I would find that these organizations would fizzle out and they would go away. Mm-hmm. And I knew they were making an impact mm-hmm. in their community because they had like survivors that they were working with mm-hmm. and they were giving people out, you know, resources and assistance out of their own um, pockets. So I knew the work that they were doing was important, but they didn't have a system of support to ensure that they were building their capacity and that they were sustainable. Mm -hmm. So that led us to doing the community engagement project, which really focuses on providing those small community-based organizations that are very much one person led um, with, um, with uh, strategic planning, Mm -hmm. with um, training, um, with um, various different resources, just elevating their their leadership overall. And then there's also a component of that project that is a training component. So it's taking um, the information that was gleaned from like the conversations that you all had Mm -hmm. and taking that information that we've heard from community members and turning it into training content to Mm -hmm. train mainstream domestic violence advocates Mm -hmm. on how to better work with and serve Mm -hmm. um, black and African-American survivors. Mm -hmm. Um, And so overall, over our our years, that work has, um, you know, just, just really grown into what you see now, like how we are um, engaging differently with uh, various different organizations, um, such as Black Mm -hmm. Health, and then some of the training and and services that are happening for survivors throughout the state. Mm -hmm. So you said like five things. Right. That's so interesting, and I want to talk more about all of those things, but I'll just start with my first one. (laughs) Yeah, but I wanted to know more just about the link between racism and domestic violence, if you could just explain what's going on there. (laughs) So when you think about the intersections of racism and domestic violence, you heard me mention how um, survivors aren't necessarily always able to gain access to some of the services that mm-hmm. they need sometime or the, the services aren't necessarily always culturally responsive. Mm-hmm. So I think about the, the, the economic justice work that we are doing right now and how um, traditionally when you look at the domestic violence movement um, in working with survivors, it's very common to encourage them to go and get like a nine to five job, right? Mm-hmm. Or to get low cost um, paying um, jobs. Mm-hmm. But in in the essence of when you look at it from a culturally responsive mm-hmm. um, position, there are very like entrepreneurship is very much a part of our culture um, and and the arts and and all of those mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And so that's not something necessarily that has been given consideration historically mm-hmm. in this movement. And so we're trying to shift and change the dialogue around how you know holding and valuing um, entrepreneurial skills is yeah. just as much yeah. valuable and important mm-hmm. to working with a survivor. Um, is is encouraging them to go and get some type of other, mm-hmm. you know, more traditional, traditional work, right, yeah. work right. right? So it could um, be like holding space for you braid hair, right? Let's do something right. exactly, like mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. exactly yeah, these things that a lot of us do already, right. kind yeah. of yeah. Like, yeah. exactly. That is a part of and how and their real skill sets, right? Yeah. Right, <laughs> can pay good money, right? Right, yeah. and how that can that that contributes to the person's overall kind of healing yes. in their own time. So then it impacts like it's a health, mm-hmm. you know, their yeah. health relation there because again, it just helps them with their own, they're healing at their own pace. Mm-hmm. And so that's to answer that question. Great. Yeah, that was really interesting. You <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you want to talk at all, Sheena, about the training, the Don't Knock the Hustle? Oh, yeah, so it's called uh, Don't Knock the Hustle. Oh, uh, okay. uh, centering Survivor Strengths and Skills. Mm-hmm. Um, through centering survivors, 
strengths and skills through economic empowerment. I think that's what it is. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's like a result of that information from these community yeah. conversations that mm-hmm. we, too, have been mm-hmm. having in black and African-American communities and just kind of learning more about what type the, the language that resonates with community, which is why it's entitled Don't Knock the Hustle, mm-hmm. like really trying to engage advocates on kind of understanding the various different nuance, mm-hmm. cultural nuances mm-hmm. that exist in engaging survivors, engaging communities around the issue of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, no, language is so powerful. And it's also, it's interesting, um, at the domestic violence event, that Black Health had, um, that Sheena was one of our subject matter experts at. We had, like, initially, like, a long conversation around, like, the power of language and how, like, we use, um, like, really calling out, like, who the perpetrators are and, like, being just intentional with your language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the conversation was that this... The statistics often show, um, this was one thread of the conversation that I remember, but statistics will say X percent of women are victims of domestic violence, Mm -hmm. but, and I think it was, um, I forgot who said this, but yeah, but they were saying like, um, it doesn't say who is perpetrating the violence, Mm -hmm. not, you know, a comparable percentage of men are perpetrators Mm -hmm. of domestic violence. Like you don't really get that other side of it. Mm -hmm. And so it's leaving half of the picture out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also think about um, when you talk about like the health disparity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in, in, in experiencing racism and oppression as a person of color that's a that's a in general right that's mm-hmm. an added layer then onto a survivor's experience of domestic violence that they're trying to navigate and mm-hmm. so it's just these added stressors that mm-hmm. ultimately impact the health outcomes right. of folks yes. yeah and i'm also um jan you had mentioned that um, Georgia Coalition is doing work around the incarcerated Mm -hmm. um, domestic violence survivors. And I'm thinking about how that directly relates to racism, too, because I'm sure I... I don't know the yes. statistics, but I don't no. need to know the statistics to know that the incarcerated domestic violence survive like women are probably mostly black women and brown women. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I would say of the women that we work with, probably 90% yeah. or more um, in the prisons are, are the women that we're working for are black and African. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Easy. Mm-hmm. Easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that like criminalization mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. being a, like a violent survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, yeah, racism, definitely. And I, I'm really surprised in doing this work, and it just has really just taken me aback at the number of black and African-American women who are in prison because they didn't protect their children. They didn't, mm-hmm. they didn't commit the crime, mm-hmm. but Whoa. but their, their um, partner um, perhaps hurt or killed the child, mm-hmm. and they were in prison for, in some way, being, right. you know, related yeah. to that or... or, or helped in the commission of the crime, and, and they didn't. Yeah. And I just had, I, I, last two or three women that I've spoken with, I'm like, how are you even in prison? Like, how did you get yeah. a life sentence for this? Mm. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I just am, um, yeah, the racism that is at play, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, in, in the criminal justice system is um, just... Yeah. Uh, I can't even say how how um, incredibly um, sad and angry it makes me, mm-hmm. but then it also makes me just want to um, just hurry up, get them all right, out, right? right? Get all these women out of prison, and and you know we're just working with women who are on parole. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that we can help them identify domestic violence as part of the history of why they're in prison. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the, we're, so we're just, like, talking the tip of the iceberg, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's, yeah. 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 It's, uh... Yeah. I, I know, um, with... I went to some conversation around, like, childhood trauma, and I learned something... So it was, like, a conversation. It was um, it was mostly, like, black women that were working in, like, the child services space. Um, and they were talking about how when it comes to childhood trauma, 
um, and you like you bucket it by like abuse and neglect. Mm-hmm. Um, so abuse is like the um, like physical, emotional, mm-hmm. like kind of more active, and mm-hmm. then neglect is like the la- the absence right. of the absence, right? Of, right. And um, they um, really highlight to me how uh, oftentimes black children. Um, face more like neglects Mm. Um, and how just like the links between um, like when you go more upstream like the like poverty and like not having access or social supports Mm -hmm. or um, yeah just like support for like the black mother um, uh, oftentimes it's like the black mother isn't actively harming their child it's Mm -hmm. literally they're in a situation because of they're like, being pulled in so right, many directions, so many directions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. just trying to survive. Right, right exactly. Yeah. It's like right. they're in survival mode. So mm-hmm. it's um, when like the child like experiences neglect or even abuse. Often it's like not. It's, it's not the, the woman's fault. Right. Yeah. Oftentimes, I found that the women, the woman is the uh, the breadwinner. Winner. She's yeah. out working, maybe sometimes two or three jobs, and you know, just trying to to put food on the table. Yeah. And um, you know, her her um, partner is at home with the kids, mm-hmm. and, and you know, really not paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it just goes to show you how systemically entrenched yeah. um, mm-hmm. racism is, um, because you know, like you were saying, like they're, the the person is faced with kind of all of these other, you know, barriers that are getting in the, in the way of, um, you know, being able to thrive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for many years, our movement has been very much invested in those systems, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 and pra- you know, following practices of those of those systems or engaging with them around solutions in those systems. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's heavy. <laughs> and I think it's not only racism we're seeing here, right? It's this intersection of racism mm-hmm. and right. sexism, mm-hmm. right. particularly, Absolutely. you know, for black women. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, this is just so <laughs> interesting to me, like coming from like a feminist perspective as mm-hmm. well, how a lot of these things happen. I mean, you know, like you just said, Jan, it's like the the woman is out being pulled in different mm-hmm. directions. She's working multiple jobs mm-hmm. and can't even really leave the children at home with her partner, right. Right. <laughs> you know, right. like, and that's to me like a symptom of sexism and mm-hmm. the idea of who should be doing the child rearing and how mm, right, and the responsibility right. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you would hope like in an equitable society that you would be able to leave your children with your partner and mm-hmm. you wouldn't have anything to worry about. Um, and just the violence, um, you know, with patriarchy and, and, you know, toxic masculinity, nice. the, I, the violence, mm-hmm. just the, just being violent as um, a show of masculinity and how that plays out in women and children's lives. Mm-hmm. Like that's, yeah, so many threads here yeah. that are very deep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Sheena, so you mentioned like the um, movement in general um, around like ending domestic violence and... Um, do you think you could speak more about um, just the role in the history that, like, black women... And, Jen, you mentioned this, too. Like, black women have played in um, just, like, ensuring that uh, the um, involvement and the services and policies that are made are inclusive to... Um, marginalized folks. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So I, I stand most certainly on many people's shoulders who came before yeah. me um, here in Georgia, here in this movement, um, at this agency and mm-hmm. the various different renditions um, that it has had. Um, the earliest that we can trace back to the first um, Women of Color Task Force um, under the organization is back to uh, 1985. Oh, wow. um, and that was the, like I said, the first Women of Color Task Force, um, which was under what was then called the Georgia Network to End Domestic Violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that task force was um, established in response to 
the limited number of women of color staff mm-hmm. at various different organizations throughout the um, state, um, as well as you know, the issues around women of color being able to have access Mm -hmm. um, to programs around the state. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, very much similar, um, you know, experiences um, that were still happening even as I came along, which again um, is why it was so important for us to shift and do our kind of internal work at our organization. and, you know, the, the folks who were part of those initial efforts, they contributed very much so to the national efforts that were happening um, as well. So, um, you know, as, as far back as 1987, um, they were leaders in the first Southeast Regional Women of Color Caucus. Mm-hmm. So, George, like, women of color here in Georgia, black women have a very uh, rich historical contribution mm-hmm. to overall the overall work that has been done to mm-hmm. address um, you know, the needs, um, and, and, um, issues of, uh, women of color as it relates to domestic violence here in Georgia. Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. And I didn't even like know this history, but it makes sense because when I think just more broadly about movements in the health equity space, but also like outside, like just other social justice movements. They're always led, like people at the margins are always the ones that like have been boots on the ground, like doing the work um, and really highlighting um, the issue, but then action, like that duality. Um, Yeah. So I like this question here about black men, but (laughs) (laughs) so um, we know that black men um, are the main perpetrators of violence against black women. Um, And can you all speak more about that and just like why that is? I mean, I think one aspect of why it is, is that we are um, like intra-community, you know, Mm -hmm. we partner within our community, um, I think almost at higher higher rates than maybe other ethnic groups but yeah black women are usually partnered with a black man so Mm -hmm. if they're experiencing um intimate partner violence it would more most likely be from a black man but also just um what can black men do to break that cycle like what kind of conversations do we need to be having and Mm -hmm. does your organization do any support for men and like and if you do or not or like just what kind of support do men need Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, conversations really need to happen around really kind of deconstructing or, you know, dissecting um, what masculinity is. Um, I I think very often that we, um, in engaging men um, or having conversations with men, we we get ahead of ourselves, particularly when I think about black men, Mm -hmm. um, and we don't necessarily take the time to give, um, you know, have some dialogue around the historical context Mm -hmm. of, um, you know, the ideas around um, women and and how those um, ideas about women have been instilled in them as black men as far Mm -hmm. as masculinity and what does it mean to be masculine and what does it mean to be a black man. And so I think that a lot more um, work and dialogue needs to start there mm-hmm. in order to then uh, move forward and practice um, what it means to be in healthy relationship with um, a partner, what mm-hmm. it means to be in healthy relationship um, in community. Mm-hmm. Um, so our, our organization, you know, we, we're we not a direct service mm-hmm. organization, of course, mm-hmm. but um, the programs that we do support throughout the state do um, provide resources and assistance to men who are survivors, mm-hmm. um, just as they would to women and children who yeah. are survivors. But we do very much try to engage with our um, our male counterparts, mm-hmm. um, such as like Men Stopping Violence mm-hmm. or Call mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Men, um, to, to work with them on efforts of how to engage men and really um, inform some of the work that they are doing mm-hmm. um, on the issue as it relates to men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we Sheena's um, work around, you know, doing community conversations and how um, looking at, so, so we've put all of our eggs into the criminal justice system, right? Mm-hmm. And into um, 
holding batterers accountable and just stopping domestic violence as you know by by incarcerating batterers right Mm -hmm. and so i think that when we really talking about when we really talk about historically oppressed communities Mm -hmm. right we really need to look at community solutions Mm -hmm. and um communities coming up with their own ways Mm -hmm. to hold folks accountable Mm -hmm. otherwise we're just going to keep putting black men in jail, right? right? And we're going to leave black women fending for themselves. And, you know, uh, and so, you know, if if there's a way that we can have communities hold folks accountable Mm -hmm. for their actions and, you know, have the batterer be able to stay in the community and continue to earn a living Mm -hmm. um, and be able to provide for their family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if there's a way that community, you know, we see this often in um, immigrant communities Mm -hmm. that, you know, they they have ways that um, the community holds the perpetrator Mm -hmm. accountable, whether it's violence or theft or or other things, right? And so really kind of looking at those solutions and, Mm -hmm. you know, because having your community hold you accountable <laughs> is sometimes a lot, yeah. you know, you feel that, you right, feel that. Yeah. yeah, you feel being in prison, obviously for sure. Yeah. But having your community say, Hey, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. And we need, you know, we want to help you make it better. Yeah. So, you know, whatever that might look like, um, I, I think to me is, is a way to really help address the problem. Mm-hmm. We've got to move away from the criminal justice system Definitely. being the only yeah only tool in our toolbox right Um, and I'm not saying the criminal justice system needs to go away um, but I'm saying we we have been in bed with them this movement has been so in bed with the criminal justice system for so long Um, we we need to look at other solutions Mm -hmm. we need to start looking outside of that Mm -hmm. that specific tool to be doing, you know, helping us do all their work. You know, I, I'm always surprised when I hear people say, well, we need just need stronger laws that are all batters accountable. Right. And I'm like, how, how many more people can we put in jail? Right. I mean, how many, how many, how many yeah, more black and brown people are going to end up in jail? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we create laws and it inadvertently or advertently, mm-hmm. um, you know, impacts communities of color Mm -hmm. and we see more black men and more black women and in in jail and we got to think of another way and uh, you know i I don't know what that specific way is and and perhaps it's different for every single community and when i say community i'm talking like community like small yeah yeah we we've got to we've got to be looking at other ways to 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 end violence rather than than looking at criminal justice system to solve all and that's so interesting because um, there's like there's data that literally shows that um a big reason why black women, foreign born women, like more marginalized um uh women and like um folks that are experienced violence don't report is because of that criminalization right, right. right. and that fear and like mm-hmm. if our communities already have such a um uh I keep saying this word, I don't know if it's right, insidious or just like really like bad like such a bad relationship. (laughs) Well such a traumatic relationship with Mm -hmm. the criminal not the criminal justice just the criminal system. Mm -hmm. Um then that you're right, like that cannot be the tool that um is used to actually end. And it's so downstream and so after the fact it's like what can we do earlier on to like shift the cultural norms Mm -hmm. and like um ingrain in um little girls and boys and just Mm -hmm. the youth and like older people that like this is not just change the norms so that right there's been so little investment in prevention yeah i mean prevention dollars just hardly exist yeah and you know mm-hmm. to your point um you know we've got to really start looking at prevention efforts mm-hmm. and community-led solutions yeah. yeah and and to add just a little bit of like history on that like th- this is not something that has been like unbeknownst to women of color in mm-hmm. this movement mm-hmm. right like back in the day 30 years ago mm-hmm. women of color were always saying the criminal justice Mm -hmm. system is not going to work for Mm -hmm. our communities Mm -hmm. but again it was one of those things where they were not always at the tables where the decisions were being made and so you know that in turn 30 years 
fast forward has has significantly impacted um you know how this movement addresses mm-hmm. the issue um and the outcomes that we do see mm-hmm. yeah absolutely mm-hmm. um so i do um this is i feel like we could dedicate multiple <laughs> it's like we had a portion of a podcast once we had an event we had one podcast i feel like this could be um a conversation that um continues to go on because there's Mm -hmm. so many nuances and so many pieces Mm -hmm. um that um lead into domestic violence and lead into the inequities um but uh, just for the sake of not making this podcast too long. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, Jan and Sheena, do you have any, like, last, like, words or um, info that you want the listeners to know? Um, it could be any, like, uh, existing feature work that's happening at the Coalition that you want to highlight or um, just, like, parting words around, like, what we you guys think are, like, the... Uh, what needs to be done (laughs) yeah action steps I mean I I think for us and we've kind of identified this as an organization is we really need to look at other social justice movements Mm -hmm. to really you know our our kind of history is that we come to your table and we tell you what to do and that's that's kind of been because we're we're fairly well resourced, right? Mm-hmm. And so so we know that we need to go to other social justice leaders mm-hmm. um, and and listen, mm-hmm. just listen, just ask if we can come to the table mm-hmm. and just listen and learn and figure out how can we can all work together, right? We all want the same thing, mm-hmm. so how can we work together and get there, right? Mm-hmm. So for us, that that's kind of what we're moving toward mm-hmm. is is kind of. Um, just really looking at how we we save every girl to the mm, last girl. Mm. And um, the last girl is something we've been using for a while. Is mm. the last girl is, you know, the girl who who, you know, has, has suffered from racism and, and human trafficking mm. and um, and and everything else that yeah. you can imagine that could yeah. bring trauma until yeah. we can look at the cross sections of all those yeah. trauma and really address them, we're never gonna save that last girl. Mm. So wow. yeah. And I think to your point, that doesn't necessarily means that it has to be all of our work, but it does mm-hmm. mean that we are open and we're willing mm-hmm. to work with, as with you said, and yep, mm-hmm. and support um, those other movement leaders that are out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are very, you know, intentional now in our work um, to really be try to be in community with the folks who do have the boots on the ground, mm-hmm. like really establish authentic relationships with them versus just being transactional mm-hmm. which has been our history so right. um like you said until we till we do that work then you know we we won't necessarily contribute to changing anything mm-hmm. um i did want to um lift up the names of um sandra white mm-hmm. um and her unborn child and her son um Archivion. Um, as well as um, Tia Coates. Mm-hmm. Um, and these mm-hmm. are black women who were killed here in Georgia, both of them pregnant black women, wow. um, who were killed here in Georgia by their um, partners. So, um, you know, in doing this work, we must always mm-hmm. remember the lives that have been lost um, and what we mm-hmm. can do better mm-hmm. and making sure that doesn't happen. Were, were their deaths recent? Uh, they were. So you may be familiar with the Henry County case, which is Miss um, uh, White's. Um, case where um, her former partner came in and um, shot her in the home mm-hmm. um, and and then Miss um, Coates case is the most recent mm-hmm. here okay. out of DeKalb County she was a missing teen and they found her body mm-hmm. um, unfortunately um, in the backyard so yeah mm-hmm. wow. um, yeah thank you so much for um, uplifting their names mm-hmm. and how I yeah. got that's so important and thank you both for coming here I feel like every time we have guests, I learn so much. <laughs> and I hope yeah. like our listeners are learning. Thinking about this like all day. Right. I know. Some this research. is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how can people stay in touch with you all and engage? Um, you have a website or? Sure, yeah. sure. So um, gcadv.org. Mm-hmm. 
Bright is our uh, website and all of our contact information is on there for everybody on staff. Um, so you can reach any of us through the website. Mm -hmm. You can also um, direct message our communications person through the website if there are any survivors who are listening. Um, you, okay. can, you can message um, through the website and, and we'll get you some advocacy help. Um, there's also the statewide hotline, which is 1-800-44-HAVEN. Three three uh, Haven. Three three Haven. So I do that every time. One eight hundred three three Haven. And um, so and um, and then of course there's a national hotline. Um, our local hotline is uh, supposed to direct you via your phone number to your local domestic violence program. Mm -hmm. um, so um, you know you can stay in touch with us like that. And, yeah, and you can find us on all social media platforms. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. True. Um, at GCADB. Um, you can find us that way. And did you want to mention that we have a 40th um, birthday oh, right, party right. coming up? Yeah, yeah. so GCADB turns 40 this year, and we are having a 40th birthday party on October 10th at Nelson Mullins. Tickets are $40, a dollar for every year. And um, we're going to have some great entertainment there. Diane Durrett is going to be entertaining. $40 gets you the entertainment, some beer and wine, some noshes, okay. and a beautiful view overlooking um, the skyline of Atlanta. Uh, from okay. Nelson okay. Yeah, so it's 5.30, I believe. I believe we settled on 5.30. Some people say it started at 5. Some people say it started at 6. So 5.30, I believe, is where we landed. And so it'll be an early evening. People are meant to come from work. And, um, you know, just enjoy. There'll be a small silent auction. And just, it's really going to be a party, though. It's really okay. going to be a party. So you can look on our website on how to get tickets. Um, they're on Eventbrite. But our website, you click the button, I'm sure, and it will take you there and this is my technology talk. <laughs> Go to our website, click the button. Um, yeah, we'll make sure we'll make sure to include all of this information in our show so that our, our listeners can access um, Thanks. Bye. Thank you, thanks for having us. Yeah. <laughs>